Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. Well, here we go again. Up you get. Good morning to you. And if you're listening to this later in the week, then happy what ever day it is, wherever you are. It's a pleasure to be with you for another week. My name is Glenn Cochran, and you're listening to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. Make sure you visit FakeShemp for a wider view of what we do, including reviews, interviews, videos, and more. We love presenting this show for you every week, and by we, I mean myself and my new co-host, Ben Halwig. Hey, Ben. How you going, mate? I'm going good, mate. How are you? I'm doing really well. Here's to another episode. Are you all settled in after last week's show? Yes, all settled in. I've got uh, some clean pants on uh, and some uh, some wipes next to me just in case things get uh, hairy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, by all accounts, your arrival was received rather warmly last week. I think that you've won people over with your VHS collection uh, during our midweek videos, that is. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's good to see that uh, that people appreciate it as much as I do. Uh, if only <laughs> that would justify the amount of money I've spent on it. <laughs> and you thought you were the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a pretty decent episode prepared for you today. So hang around because we're going to take a listen at a super exclusive interview with Hollywood director Paul Feig. Uh, it's one I've been sitting on for a little while. I've uh, just been waiting for that Christmas in July thing to come around. And we do have the usual assortment of treats from Screen Realm, Adam's Just Seen, Jarrett's PE class, and here for their sophomore segment, the Bonehead Weekly guys will be discussing Monty Python. So let's get the episode started out with some sad news, get that out of the way, and then we can move on. It always blows my mind when there's that unwritten rule of three when it comes to celebrity deaths. And over the past week, we've lost three people from the entertainment industry. The glee curse struck again with actress Nea Rivera tragically drowning while out on a lake with her son. And she was only 33 years old. She was in lots of television shows. Most recently, she was in the Step Up TV series, which was called Step Up High Water. And while she's never really stepped into the world of film, I was quite chuffed to read that one of her earliest roles was in Dana Carvey's Master of Disguise. Uh... An underrated gem, may I say? Master of Disguise. <laughs> I mean, you made Turtleneck. <laughs> it's a classic. And then, tragically, Grant Imahara from Mythbusters also passed away following an aneurysm, and he was only 49 years old. Now, this guy was an engineer who rose to fame from Robot Wars, which I'm sure a lot of people know, and his talent had him serve as engineer and robot designer on all kinds of TV shows, including the creation of the robot Jeff, the sidekick on Craig Ferguson's Late Late Show, which was absolutely hilarious. And most recently, he's been working with Walt Disney behind the scenes in creating various animatronics for theme parks around the world. So that's another big blow because he had a massive influence behind the scenes of many, many things. And then finally, probably most shocking, to me at least, was the passing of Kelly Preston, Hollywood darling, wife to John Travolta. She passed away at the age of 57 after a two-year battle with cancer. Now, once again, I had no idea she was sick. So this came to me as a massive shock. And Ben, can I peg you as a Kelly Preston fan, perhaps of the 1980s vintage? 
Yeah, look, I uh, I loved Kelly Preston. Uh, I guess the the first thing I ever really noticed her in was Twins. Yeah. Uh, watching Twins, and I was like, oh my god, who is that? And then kind of going back and realizing that she'd been in a bunch of other uh, of you know movies that I that absolutely loved, like uh, Mischief. <laughs> I was hoping you would say Mischief. <laughs> Because mischief was fantastic. I was going to say the one the one thing I remember her most from was mischief, which was a great sex comedy of 1985, I think it was. And the reason I got onto that one as a kid was because I loved the movie Yellowbeard, and the same director made mischief. Oh right, I had no idea. Yeah, I love Yellowbeard. Yeah, I remember watching that, like borrowing that repeatedly from the video store. You kind of have a yellow beard. Um, I well, I used to. <laughs> it's kind of gone a bit. It's gone a bit grey now. It's a bit more. It's a bit more white salt and pepper now than it, than it once was, but it was yellow at one stage. Yeah, well, uh, she made a, her feature film debut in the Charles Bronson film Ten to Midnight, which um, I found quite interesting as well. And some others, before I let you sort of have your little Kelly Preston moment, because I, I have a funny feeling you want to, <laughs> uh, she was in things like Death Sentence, which was the James Wan film. She was very famous for Jerry Maguire. She was in From Dust Till Dawn, Run, Space Camp, amongst so many others. Yeah, she actually played the same role in uh, From Dust to Dawn as she did in Curdled, which was another one of those kind of Tarantino presents. Yes, I forgot uh, all about film. that. I had that one on VHS back when I was a collector, and I had forgotten. Yeah, it's a it was a fantastic film. I remember thoroughly enjoying it when it came out, and it's I think it has I think it had made it to DVD internationally. Yeah, but I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's still available. For, for people listening who don't know, um, back in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, Tarantino used to slap his name on films that sort of flew under the radar and didn't get much attention. And just he knew that his name was a brand and could actually you know, give it a platform. So that was one of them. I think that was the first one. I think it was. I think it was then followed up by, from memory, uh, the Modesty Blaze uh, prequel film. That's the one that Scott Spiegel directed, and they were best friends. If it wasn't for Scott Spiegel, Tarantino wouldn't have landed in Hollywood. Right. This Scott Spiegel, Evil Dead Scott Spiegel. Yes. Yeah, right. So he directed that. He also directed From Dust Till Dawn 2? 2? Yes. Or 3? No, number 2. 2. No, I think uh, PC Pesci did number 3. Right. Anyway, right. That's the one with the odd black and white musical number and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's in like it. a spaghetti western. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Kelly Preston. Sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, you know, if someone's passing can't lead you to a good tangent, I don't know what. Uh... Well, that's true. And surely you have many a Kelly Preston tapes in your collection. I do. I do have a few. Uh, uh, I went and dug them all out. Uh, upon hearing uh, hearing about her passing, to kind of uh, refamiliarize myself, and uh, it's, she has like this. She had an amazing career, and she was in a lot of these great films, often playing kind of um, good-looking women whose good looks got them in over over her head. Yeah, right. Like uh, Fifty Two Pickup, which is a is a um, fantastic uh, John Frankenheimer uh, movie with Roy Scheider about. Uh, have you seen Fifty Two Pickup? You must have. You must have. Seen I, it. Of course, I have. Yeah. but a long time ago. Yeah, right. So Roy Roy Scheider is this um, successful uh, businessman who uh, has an affair with a uh, very young Kelly Preston while he's married to Anne Margaret, and uh, as it turns out, she's actually um, she gets kidnapped and he gets sent the tape, um, threatening to kill her if he doesn't pay a bunch of money and also reveal 
he also they'll also reveal that he was having an affair and destroy his life yep. basically and he kind of refuses slash doesn't really have the money that they think he has and um goes about hunting them down and i think it's uh john so john glover is the villain and vanity pops up in it as a as a <laughs> uh, kelly preston's drugged out prostitute friend and like it's just it's a f- phenomenal thriller and then uh like also uh secret admirer which was like mm-hmm. that was around the same era as mischief um uh, christine i remember like seeing her in christine and re- i remember thinking how is it that she is the like the the kind of the side almost the sidekick the not the one who's not you know popular with the boys like alexandra paul is in that film it was like <laughs> complete opposites casting as as a as beautiful as, as Alexandra Paul was in Christine, I remember at the time thinking it was odd. Well, I, I always thought that Kelly Preston was one of the most stunning human beings on the planet. And so to have her as that sidekick just doesn't make sense to me. No, no, not at all. And then today I actually went back, uh, well, last night and then again uh, today, I, I uh, caught up on uh, Spellbinder, which which I think was released in, in the 80s still. In the late it's got to be. Got to be in the 80s. Um with uh, Timothy Daly and Rick Rosovich. It was written by uh, Tracy Tormey and directed by Janet Greek. And there was all sorts of controversy about this at the time. I think the film was taken away from Janet and uh, and uh, recut and all sorts of things. Uh, but it, I saw the trailer on this on another tape like a couple of years ago. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like, well, how, why, like, why haven't, why haven't I seen this? It's like a, it's a, it's a folk horror. That's right. It's a, it's a, it's a folk horror set in the big city. Like it's yep. a, a bunch of like a cult of Satanists who uh, are looking for a sacrifice and uh, um, kind of Kelly Preston is their kind of uh, chosen victim, or at least that's the premise of the film. Yes. Well, very sad news indeed. And there's no real easy way to, to segue to Jarrett after that. So I guess um, here's Jarrett. <laughs> hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now this week's a weird week for home entertainment as there's only three films coming out on disc and only one of those three is coming out on Blu-ray. Let's kick it off with Roadshow who are releasing the sole Blu-ray of the week with a film titled The Crime Boss also known as Arkansas in the United States. This film's releasing to Blu-ray and DVD. The US release has Liam Hemsworth prominently featured on the artwork, while the Aussie release has opted for Vince Vaughn. Interesting, make of that what you will. The film also stars John Malkovich and Clark Duke. Now, funnily enough, Clark Duke also directed this movie. This is his directorial debut, and you'll know him as the chubby guy from the Hot Tub Time Machine movies and the TV series Greek. It's a crime thriller about a rural drug operation, and it has a faux Tarantino style about it. Coming up from Mad Men, they've got two releases this week. So first up, Inherent the Viper coming out on DVD with Josh Harnett and Bruce Stern. This is a crime thriller about a rural drug operation. Yeah, you heard this one before. Well, yeah, this movie's about that as well. Except this one's about a family business, and family businesses are the best and even better when the business is drugs. The next release from Mad Men, a DVD-only release also, is the Kiwi comedy The Legend of Baron Toa. Now, this movie is about a wrestling belt that ends up in a wrestling bout. Bit of wordplay there. Um, it's pretty funny. It's definitely worth checking out. It had a limited sort of theatrical run earlier this year, around the same time as Guns Akimbo, but Mad Men has opted to only do DVD for this title. And on the topic of Kiwi comedies, 
Check out the trailer for a movie called Low Down Dirty Criminals. The trailer went out last Tuesday on the internet and uh, this guy actually cut it. Uh, that's right, I cut the trailer for it. It's a hilarious comedy, uh, crime caper comedy, and it's coming out from Monster Pictures, opening in New Zealand cinemas August 20, and we should have some news with regards to its Australian release very soon also. So that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see. Holy shit, if you have not been paying attention to Scarefest Television, then you've missed out on possibly the biggest train wreck of a show ever when Robert Mello from Happy Death Day was their guest a couple of weeks ago. Now, typically, Scarefest TV is a relatively non-offensive show that sort of toes that PG-13 line pretty well. Uh, and then this happened when Rob Mello was let loose. So, you know, Homeboy eventually showed up, and we, you know, he's one of those theatre major and you know we're going 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 i was like let's drop i dropped my script i look at him i was like you out of your mind and director just slung it slung the script and was like yes yes let's start shooting now and i'm like what the what none of sense this it's so confusing there's so many pitfalls and there's so many sharks out there Ladies, is every shark out there wants to see your <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I can't count how many producers, quote unquote, that I've, I've seen where, you know, it's no pay, it's, you know, nudity was required, all sorts of and I'm like, I blow these motherfuckers up on the regular. You know what I mean? I publicly shame these because, I mean, you, dude. That's somebody's daughter. Oh, my God. So they originally had that guy booked uh, several weeks earlier, but he never showed up on account of having a nap at the time. So, yeah. A true professional flog monkey, if you ask me. So, note to self, do not book that guy. Um, but make sure you also listen to Scarefest Radio Reanimated which is the Kentucky-based podcast that I also host alongside Scarefest event manager Adrian Elder and local celebrity and funny guy Billy Crank. Just follow the Scarefest on Facebook and you won't miss it. Okay, Ben, because you're new to the show, we're going to continue getting to know you a little bit more. So back when Keith was on the mic, people came to know him as the guy with a penchant for the more, I guess, prestigious fair, for lack of a better word. Let's just say he loved his Coppola, Scorsese's and Kubrick, and they were revolving motives. And so with you, there's an immediate theme of VHS that people have already latched onto, and I freaking love that. They've let us know, so it's obviously something that people are interested in. So because we're both children from the 80s, let's go back to the video store and talk about some of our favourite VHS titles from back in the day. Perhaps we can talk about the most prized videotapes that we owned and maybe reel off two or three titles each. Um, and let's take it in turns. Would you like to go first? Sure. I guess, look, the first the first movie that had a kind of huge impression on me was a Disney film called 
Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Do you uh, do you remember this one, Glenn? I'm a big fan of vintage Disney, and yes, I'm aware of it. I can't say I recall it though, like as in watching it. It's a it's a phenomenal film directed by uh, Robin Stevenson, who was a uh, journeyman Disney director who did things like Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Also, He's one of my favorite directors of all time, so I really I really should know this this film more than I do. And it is like it is a it is a phenomenal film set in Ireland. It stars. Uh, 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 Sean Connery as play, play, like playing an Irishman, which yep. is uh, which is uh, phenomenal. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think Albert Albert Sharp plays the uh, titular character uh, Darby O'Gill, and his daughter uh, is played by Janet Munro, who had a pretty unfortunate life after after this. I think she ended up drinking herself to death. Uh, typical of Disney stars back in of the, of the, of the <laughs> era. <laughs> funnily enough, uh, but basically um, Darby O'Gill is this. Uh, is this old guy who's in charge of uh, uh, main, is the caretaker of uh, the local lord's estate, country estate, yep. and he's getting on in years. And uh, the lord comes to town basically and, and basically tells him on the side that he's replacing him with a younger right. man, and that's who Sean Connery. Sean Connery's come from Dublin to kind of uh, take over, yep. but uh, but as a favour to Darby, he's not gonna he's gonna let Darby tell everyone. And he's gonna like let him live in the cottage for free with his daughter and stuff, and kind of live out yep. his days in, in in retirement, which is the last thing that Darby wants to do. But it's gotten to the point now where all Darby does really is sit in the pub talking about uh, his run-ins with uh, the leprechauns. So this is one that you thrashed as a kid. I watched this uh, repeatedly. I mean, and it's like it's quite horrific because at the end of the because you know during the course of the film, um, Darby does end up. Uh, chasing the, the king of the leprechauns trying to get the pot of gold to save his job and uh <laughs> then the um the death coach and a banshee come down to collect his uh to collect him or to collect his daughter who's got conked on the head after running off to the Mate. to the hill like it's 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 quite quite um got some quite kind of scary kind of elements to it and it's really it was really good and there is a song there's a uh i think it's she's my dear my darling one i'm think that may be the name of the song but Janet Monroe and Sean Connery sing it together and at the time it got released as a single and went to number one in the UK <laughs> charts and it is phenomenal like Sean Connery singing like who well, yeah doesn't get better is, than that is this one on uh Disney plus because I've not I've noticed there's a lot of Disney films from the era that I, that I love most that have not made it across and I, I would hope that one's there I believe it is uh, okay. When I when I had the Disney Plus subscription when it first started, and I just I yep. pretty much just gave it to my nieces. Yeah. Uh, I believe it is there. Cool. Yeah. Well, good because um, it's definitely one I am going to revisit because I just love Robert Stevenson. I love that era. I've got it on um, Laserdisc if you great. want to borrow it as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now to find a player. <laughs> I can't help you there. Okay. So for me, and it's a really, really hard one because I have a lot of VHS from my childhood that, you know, I just flogged the hell out of. Uh, but the first one, I'm going to go with the one, the first VHS tape that I purchased on my own with my own pocket money and got in a little bit of trouble for it. Uh, it was Dead Bang with Don Johnson. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. The big, so uh, big box roadshow tape. I would have only been like 10 or 11 at the time and went into the video store and there it was on X rental and I just wanted it. It kind of reminded me, I think a bit of lethal weapon. The cover had him with like a shotgun or whatever. I bought it. And I think I've seen that on VHS more than most other films. I just absolutely adore it. Well, I saw the trailer for it not too long ago uh, and I've never seen it. And I immediately went out and bought the tape. I'm yeah. like, I've got to see well, this. My, like my, 
my history with that film on VHS means so much to me that I've never wanted to upgrade it to DVD or Blu-ray. I will only watch it on VHS. You only want to see it. it in, should be. You only want to see it in four three, the way God yep. intended it to be seen. Yep. Yep, and it's just so good. William Forsyth in that. It's like it's a it's a neo-Nazi story. It's it's just it's brutal. It's John Frankenheimer. Right, yeah. wow. That's uh, two John Frankenheimer uh, movies uh, in the podcast so far. In, indeedy. All right, let's move on. Yours. Uh, next up, I have... I, <laughs> I was... I would have been about 13... And I convinced my grandmother to let me, like on school holidays, I went and uh, stayed at her place uh, while my parents were at work. And there was a video flash around the corner and I convinced her to let me uh, buy this film uh, as an ex-rental. Uh, <laughs> and she just thought it was like a, she thought it was a, a just a fantasy movie, like a Conan barbarian type <laughs> film. And it was, uh, this is the film called uh, Sorceress. Uh, it was directed by Jack Hill uh, <laughs> under the name, I think he used a pseudonym for it, um, Brian Stewart for some reason, but they were all using pseudonyms back then. Produced by Roger <laughs> Corman, written, co-written by Jim Wynorski. So you can imagine uh, what kind of what kind of movie this is this is gonna be. <laughs> Absolutely. Basically, it's the story of these two twin sisters who are prophesized to uh, topple the evil emperor of the of this fantasy realm. Uh, so to protect them, they are these two t- two twin girls. They're spirited off in the night uh, once their village is attacked, uh, where they live in relatively obscurity in the middle of nowhere, and they're raised as boys. So they have no idea that they're girls. Yeah. Um, and they're taught to kind of fight and farm basically, and uh, <laughs> then they kind of get found. They get found and one of them gets kind of taken away by the evil emperor and see up to the other one who teams up with like a little horny goat man and a barbarian uh, to bring them back. And the twins are played by Lynn and Lynette Harris, who were famous for, at the time being in Playboy. And uh, they were the twin girls in I, the Jury, the Amanda Sante yep. uh, detective film. And it is, it's like, it's super sleazy and, uh, and super awesome. And my grandmother, upon watching, like I, I took it home that that day and, and was like we're going to watch this straight away and i'm there watching it with my grandmother and there is a there is a, a super weird scene where because they're twins one of the one of the twins is off in the palace being ravished by a prince and uh the other one who's on like traveling on the road has an orgasm because they're connected because they're twins and uh my grandmother became enraged upon this, seeing this scene and uh <laughs> slapped me on the back of the head and threatened to destroy the tape. Oh, uh, mate. You know, I tricked I tricked my grandmother into buying uh, Document of the Dead on VHS. You know the, <laughs> that, that, that documentary about George Romero making uh, Dawn of the Dead? Yeah. But I got it home and realized it was a documentary, so I was bitterly disappointed. But <laughs> that was my introduction to Romero. Anyway, so my next uh, VHS favorite was Sesame Street's Follow That Bird. Which, to this day, I think is the best Muppet movie ever made. Absolutely, <laughs> hands down. I watch it at least once a year. It's a glorious film. It's a road trip movie. Uh, Big Bird runs away from Sesame Street to live with other birds. Ends up getting kidnapped by um, by a circus and painted blue to become a bluebird. 
and the whole of Sesame Street gathers together and they bandy up and, and they go on a road trip to find Big Bird. And it's got celebrity cameos galore, Chevy Chase, John Candy, like it's glorious. Did you know who uh, Chevy Chase or John Candy was, were, when you watched this film when you were a kid? I definitely did, because um, <clears throat> my memory of Chevy Chase came from the original Vacation, which I had already seen. Because I was raised on films very early on, inappropriate films. Um, so I did know him. John Candy, I reckon I would have known him. I don't know where from, but even growing up, I recognised these cameos. So, right. must have. But it's got great music. I think Wylan Jennings is in there with a, an entire number. Awesome. Uh, and the Astor played it last year and I couldn't go and I was heartbroken. Oh, wow. So, there we go. Follow that bird, mate. If you don't have that on VHS, you're not a real collector. I uh, I think I might have it on VHS, actually. <laughs> Bust that baby open, mate. To, uh, Dust I'll, it off. I'll, uh, I'll uh, pull it out later and, uh, and and have a squeeze, yeah, because it sounds great. I didn't realise all the, I didn't realize the three amigos was, were going to be in it or, any, <laughs> or anything like that. I was like, I have to, That's great. have to check that out. All right, what's your next one? Uh, my next one is actually a TV series that, uh, my father had taped the first two parts of off TV. Uh, it was a TV, TV series called the box of delights, uh, which was, uh, they were, they were based on, uh, a children's fantasy novel, uh, by this, um, this guy called John Maysfield that wrote it in the thirties. And it's Mm -hmm. about this kid. Uh, this rich British kid who kind of doesn't have any parents but lives with a governess in this kind of mansion and, and he comes home for the school holidays and on the train home he gets conned out of uh, his money by these two priests or men dressed as priests um, who are actually who actually are the, the villains of the, of the series and they turn into wolves and uh, he also meets a Punch and Judy man who, does it, who has a travelling Punch and Judy show uh, who gives him this the box of delights and if he turns there's a knob on the side of the box and if he turns it one way he shrinks really small if he turns it the other way he can fly uh, oh, people mate. disappear into paintings uh that yeah like the bad guys turn into wolves there's a giant rat um that's a kind of like an assassin like his kids get his friends um get scrobbled and kind of get threatened to be turned into dog biscuit by putting into the, <laughs> by being put into a machine called the the, the scrounger and it's all, it's, it was this really kind of fantastic thing. And we only had the first two episodes. Yeah. Um, so then in the 90s, in the mid 90s, I think I would have been about 15 or 16. My parents went uh, on a trip to the UK and mm. they called me at, at you know 11 o'clock at night one night and said, hey, we're in London. Is there anything you want us to try and get for you? Yeah. And I said, two things. I need box of delights. <laughs> and I need Get Carter, which at that time I'd only ever read about in like Loaded magazine. Yeah. Uh, and so they, I made them go to a HMV and they <laughs> brought me back a uh, box of delights where I finally got to watch the rest of the show. And it was, it did not disappoint. It's phenomenal. It sounds like a full moon production. It, it, oh, no, it's a lot. It's the special effects aren't as good and there were no, <laughs> there are no boobies in it, but it is uh, <laughs> mm. two, two essential ingredients to every full moon production. Uh, but uh, it is it is an excellent kind of kids cool. TV show. Well worth checking well, out. Well worth noting. I'll write that one down and have a look for it. But uh, my final one is a, a Disney one. 
Uh, it's called Jiminy Cricket's Fabulous Fables, Fairy Tales, and Other Wonderful Stories. And this was part of the Disney Cartoon Classics collection that was originally a TV special from 1986. But the interesting thing about it is this VHS version was an updated, um, I guess, version of a, another show that they did back in the 50s, which was called Disneyland. And that's before they changed their name to The Wonderful World of Disney. So back in the 50s, it was Aesop to Hans Christian Andersen. That was the actual program. And then in the 80s, they tacked on Jiminy Cricket as a bit of an NC narrator and um, and turned it into this you know home entertainment release that is just wonderful. I can probably recite it from start to finish. You know, it's just one of those things that as a kid you watch so many times that it's just it's ingrained in you. And it's beautiful. It's awesome. Did that have um, uh, the world owes us a living? The story of the grasshopper. Yes, and, the world owes uh, us a living. Which uh, yeah, I just the world owes us a living. I used to love that. I used to watch it over and over again. That was amazing. Uh, well, you know what? Video talk makes me very happy, so we're probably going to have to do something like this on a regular basis. Uh, but speaking of regular basis, let's see what's happening over at Screen Round with some movie news, and then wait till you hear what tune I've got lined up for you. You're going to love it. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com. Let's have a quick look back at some of the stories that we've covered in the past week, kicking off with the camera is actually rolling on the Uncharted movie. That's right, after years and years of development hell, the big screen movie adaptation of the Uncharted video game franchise is actually filming. The news was shared by lead actor Tom Holland, who is playing the film's lead character, treasure hunter and adventurer Nathan Drake. While plot details are still currently buried, there's still a good amount known about Uncharted. The film is said to be an origin story, introducing us to a younger Nathan Drake. The plan is to have Holland age with the character as the potential franchise unfolds, and Mark Wahlberg will be playing Victor Sullivan, Nate's father figure and fellow treasure hunter. Antonio Banderas is also on board, whispered to be playing a villain, with Sophia Ali and Tati Gabrielle attached to play Chloe Fraser and Elena Fisher, respectively. The film is being directed by Venom and Zombieland helmet Ruben Flesher and has a screenplay by Iron Man writers Art Markham and Matt Holloway. Let's hope that that combo makes for a winning video game movie, of which there are so, so few. As of now, because who knows at this point, Uncharted is scheduled to open in the US on July 16th, 2021. As a huge fan of the video game franchise, I'm looking forward to seeing this happen. There's a new Fletch movie on the way, and this one will be starring John Hamm. This is a new movie adaptation of Gregory McDonald's Fletch mystery novels, which were adapted into two Chevy Chase starring films in the 80s. The film is to be directed by Greg Matola, known for Superbad, Adventureland, and Simon and pagan Nick Frost comedy Paul. The film will find Fletch trying to prove his innocence after a mysterious chain of events puts him in the middle of multiple murders, one of which pins him as a prime suspect. While attempting to clear his name, Fletch is tasked with finding his fiancée's stolen art, the only inheritance she's acquired after her father goes missing and is presumed dead. Director Michael Ritchie, known also for The Golden Child, directed the two Chevy Chase films. The first was 1985's Fletch, which made just under 60 million worldwide and was generally well received by the critics. The sequel, Fletch Lives, in 1989 made 39.4 million worldwide and was met with mixed to poor reviews. Fingers crossed all goes well with the John Hamm starring reboot. Following on from the news that Uncharted is starting to film, another big video game franchise is coming together. The Just Cause movie now has its director. Set to direct a big screen adaptation of hit video game franchise Just Cause will be Michael Dowds, whose credits include action comedies Stuber and Coffee and Kareem. The screenplay for Just Cause comes from Derek Colstead, who certainly knows his way around the action genre, having written all three John Wick films and worked on upcoming Marvel series The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The film will be following ass 
Mexican video game character Rico Rodriguez as he battles the mercenary group known as the Black Hand. Apparently the film will also have a female co-lead that will help give it a romancing the stone vibe. Still no word on who it is that will be playing Rico. Interestingly, Dave Bautista's name is being mentioned here and there by fans, so we'll see if the studio takes note of that. Oscar winner Viola Davis has signed up to star in The Woman King, a historical epic set to be directed by the old guard helmer Gina Prince by the wood. The film is to be based on true events that occurred in the kingdom of Dahomey, a western African kingdom that flourished in the 18th and 19th centuries. The story will follow Daniska, to be played by Davis, the general of an all-female military unit and her daughter Nawi, who together fought the French and neighboring tribes who violated their honor, enslaved their people and threatened to destroy everything they lived for. It certainly sounds like an ambitious project and another big one for director Prince by the wood, who has recently delivered what appears to be quite the hit for Netflix with the Charlie Theron starring action fantasy The Old Guard. That film shot to number one quickly after being released on the streamer and has been drawing rave reviews from audiences and critics alike. Which perfectly brings me to our review of The Old Guard, written by Good Movie Monday's Glenn Cochrane. Both Glenn and I are completely on the same page with this film, he really, really enjoyed it. Writing, and I quote, At 125 minutes, The Old Guard is slightly too long for its own good, however it does maintain stamina throughout the entire runtime. It also builds a solid foundation for an inevitable franchise, and as a Netflix film it couldn't be more easily accessible. Plus, as this particular writer can attest, The Old Guard also proves to be a highly enjoyable comic book movie for those who usually don't, like comic book movies. Glenn gave The Old Guard 4 out of 5 stars. You can jump on Screen Realm to check out Glenn's full review. That about does it for me guys. Be sure to also jump on Screen Realm for the latest movie trailers and all the latest screen goodness. We also have both the Netflix Australia and Stan Australia schedules go up every month so be sure to also check that out. Thanks so much guys. Hope everyone's doing well out there. I'm out.
this edition we're talking about. A lot of people know the Monty Python. Never heard of them. Did they but do the comedy? Some of their more obscure skits are some of my favorite skits. So we're going to talk about best obscure Monty Python sketches. Yay! Okay then, Chad. I, you really, go- I mean, I have one. I have one. I was going back and watching them, and I was even Googling it and thinking, the one that I found that was hilarious, but most of my favorites, and I really need to go back and rewatch the whole series. The one I found was hilarious is, do either one of you all remember the architect sketch? That actually is on some lists on web on the web, and I don't think that it's all that obscure. No, I don't think it's that obscure either. I don't I, think it's that obscure either, but it is one that they don't talk about so much. So cut to two people sitting there for a presentation. There's, of course, a segue that makes no sense, and they throw water out because it's Monty Python. That's what they're great about, and they stole that from somebody else, and that's a whole long story as well. Anyway, the architect sketch. So... What it is, is they're sitting there, Cleese comes in to give his presentation, and what we find out as he's going through this, he's very professional, and he starts talking about where the blood will be let out as they go through, and, the, and then the skin is basically flayed from their, you know, the flesh is flayed from them. Realizes he's been designing slaughterhouses for most of his life. <laughs> this is an apartment building. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right? He gets really yep. pissed, and it turns out at the end that he really just wants to be a Freemason. Yep. <laughs> Which obviously has <laughs> nothing to do with what we're talking about. And Eric Otto comes in and does a second presentation, and the building catches on fire, falls over his model, and yep. they go, that's great. This is cheap housing anyway. And then they go to do the handshake. Cleese shows back up and then goes, is that the handshake for Freemasons? <laughs> Yeah, so now that Joe's explained the whole sketch, now y'all don't have to go back and go check it out. So my favorite sketch, my favorite obscure sketch, and it's probably not obscure, is the Gumby Brain Specialist sketch. Gumby is a, the, a popular character performed by Mike, Mike Palin, who he wore a handkerchief on his head. He wore like a, a, a sweater vest. and would talk really loud like this. Right. It was a, usually a cutaway joke. Uh, but this was actually a long-form sketch with Gumby where he went and talked to a brain specialist played by John Cleese who kept forgetting who was a, another representation of Gumby, but he kept forgetting what he was there for. But the part that I laugh at every time, I've li- watched the sketch literally 20 or 30 times when uh, Graham Chapman, when Gumby's on the, the table and Graham Chapman goes, glasses, mustache, handkerchief, and they put it on his head and he goes, hammer. And then he goes, oh, I'm going to operate. <laughs> Best Even sketch. your bad interpretation's funny. Yeah, so that's <laughs> mine. James, what's yours? Go, James. Go. I, I, I almost had to go with the Dimsdale sketch from uh, the Piranha <laughs> Brothers because who doesn't love a giant hedgehog that only one person can see? But instead, I'm going with the Woody sketch because I've sent this to Joe actually years ago when we were working next door. I don't know if he remembers that, but it literally is my go-to we sketch. We used to send things all the time. I kept sending the same thing, though. No matter what would happen, I can always play the Woody sketch. I don't care what's going on, and I, I giggle because it's so dumb. It has everything you need. The word Gorn is in it. Uh, there's caribou that eat croquet hoops. It makes no sense. It's completely esoteric, and I love every moment of it. It's uh, Palin, Idle, and Chapman, and Idle's dressed as a woman. He's supposed to be Chapman's wife, and basically, at one point, Chapman gets obsessed with certain words sounding woody, which is good, or tinny, which is bad, and he ends up screaming out things like erogenous zone, 
but his daughter, who is played by, and I'm forgetting the actress that was part of the Monty Python, but she played his daughter, and she couldn't stand tinny words. And at one point, runs and screams from the room. Palin comes in. Chapman has had to leave because he has to take a a, a, a bath, his ninth bath of the day, because he said too many wooden quicker, words. Quicker, James, quicker! It ends up with Palin sings to his wife, accidentally, which is Eric Idle, accidentally kills her, and the sketch ends like this. Chapman's coming back in from his ninth bath of the day and says, what's Earp? Palin says, I'm afraid Miss Vermin Jones appears to have passed Orn. Chapman, dead is she? Palin, afraid so. Chapman, well, that's a blow for her. Sketch cuts away, doesn't make any sense. I can watch that sketch 15 times a day. And if you're thinking none of that made any sense, that's why that sketch is funny and it doesn't work for anybody but the Pythons. But if you watch it and don't laugh once, let me know because something's wrong. And with that, you have Bonehead Fun Size. Tune in next week where we talk about Earn. Uh, cheers to the Bonehead Weekly, guys, for another fun-sized episode. And you can find the full-sized Bonehead Weekly podcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and most podcast platforms. Their latest episode discusses movie MacGuffins, and uh, it's a really nerdy episode, to be sure, so go and check that out. And how right was I about that music? Hot dang, if this episode isn't a trip down memory lane... For all ye children of the 80s, then I'll be a son of a bitch. The music you heard was The Gremlins Rag by Jerry Goldsmith from the original soundtrack to Gremlins. And why Gremlins? Well, because it's Christmas in July, of course. And that means it's time to take a listen to my conversation with Hollywood heavyweight Paul Feig. This is the guy behind Bridesmaids, The Heat, Spy and the Ill-Fated Ghostbusters reboot. Now, whatever you think of this man as a filmmaker, I'd have to say he's easily the nicest guy I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. He was very humble. He was very friendly. And while you can hear for yourself, I've been sitting on this interview for a little while, just waiting for July to roll around. And so this conversation did take place back during the Melbourne Spring Carnival, just for a bit of context, and it was to promote his film Last Christmas. Let's take a listen. Hey there, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk. How are you? I'm very good, I'm very good. Happy to be in Melbourne. I bet. The the weather hasn't been too good for you, though. Uh, no, I mean, not bad so far. I mean, <laughs> tomorrow I'm going out to the races, so it's supposed to be nice. Oh, awesome. Firstly, congratulations on last Christmas. I have to say that it's probably a contender for my top ten of the year. Oh my gosh, oh, you made my day. <laughs> no, I appreciate I truly appreciate that. And also, before we talk about the film, I probably need to tell you that I'm an unapologetic fan of Unaccompanied Minors, which is probably one of my favourite, you know, Christmas films. Oh, well, you boy, you've really made my year now. <laughs> that, that was, that's the one that put me in movie jail. But I always, I've always liked it. It's just something fun about it, you know? Yeah, I just feel like it's one of those films that never got the recognition it really deserves. Um, but I, I've got to say, it's great to see you back in the Christmas genre. Are you a fan of Christmas films? I am, I am. My favourite movie of all time. I mean, not even Christmas, just of all time, is It's a Wonderful Life. So when they're when they're done well, I love them. You know, love actually Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still say it's a Christmas movie. I know there's a lot of debate. Yeah, I'm on the same side as the fence as you on that one. <laughs> so Last Christmas has a particularly British sense of humour about it. Uh, that's sort of not the style that you're known for. Was it was it hard uh, to adapt to a, a new brand of comedy? And did you feel like a fish out of water? Um, handling it no i mean i'm so influenced and my whole life has been influenced by british comedy that i actually felt very at home with it you know the biggest thing i had to do is make sure that we didn't have too many jokes or references that wouldn't work for an american audience so i had to really um 
basically, you know, navigate with with Emma. Like I go, like, well, they're never going to get this in America. And I pitch something. She goes, like, well, they're never going to get that in Britain. <laughs> so it's like, okay, what word do we both know? <laughs> and then we do that. So yeah, so I tried tried to tried to be good that way. But um, no, I love. I really, you know, it, it, I think if you look at a lot of my comedy, it, it is it is it has that feel to it. Really. So I take it you did work closely with her and Greg in developing the script. Well, no, they brought me on. Um, you know, they've been working on it for years or whatever uh they brought me on to it uh, like a year and a half ago but then once i came on then we then we kept working it uh but it was it was brilliant when it came to me but then you know there's just things i see that i want or want to try and emma's such a great collaborator that she would you know go off and do a rewrite and bring it back and be like that's cool you know so yes but we you know we you never uh, these scripts you never stop working them until you know until you basically have uh, locked the picture and finished the movie yeah right um, well, given that your your work up until now has a very particular flavor uh, to it, what do you think compelled them to approach you to do the film? Well, I, Emma and I were supposed to do Late Night together, you know, the Mindy Kaling movie. Yeah. And so I worked with her. Uh, you know, I'd flown out to London and spent a day with her working on the character and just talking, and we just hit it off and realized we have a very similar sensibility. Um, and so after that, when I, you know, the scheduling didn't work out, so I had to drop out of it. Um, we just stayed in contact and kept just writing each other, going like, "What are we going to do? We have to do something together." So, you know, I feel like she just felt this was the one that uh, that we could do. Yeah, you know, what appealed to me about this one so much is the fact that it is not too schmaltzy. It's the it's the right balance. It's not too schmaltzy, um, but it's still romantic. It's very charismatic. And in my mind, it's probably the best since Love Actually, if I if I think about it. Wow, I'll take that. Oh my goodness, thank you. No, I mean, we, you know, I, I, that's what I, I responded to just in reading the script. It is that feeling of like, wow, this has a lot of great deeper issues to it, but we can make it so beautiful and make it so romantic. And you know, if I get the right cast, and I I knew pretty quickly that I wanted Amelia and Henry for the roles, and um, you know, was lucky enough to get them. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think you just touched upon something that I wanted to talk about. Is there are a lot of uh, underlying themes, some that are subtle and some that are not quite subtle. And I was wondering, what would you like the average viewer to take away from the movie? Just the whole idea that we're all in this together, we're all in this life together. You know, there's so much kind of divisiveness and intolerance going on right now and fear of the other and vilification of the other. And, yeah. you know, it's it just feels like the right movie at the right time and even more so than it would have been a year ago or two years ago. I just feel like right now this is the nice antidote for just how exhausted we all are from from all the divisiveness that's going on uh you know and it's just it's a very good natured movie about you know how to how to repair your life and, re- and repair your life with the people you love yeah well it doesn't get much more simpler than look up does it no i'm telling you i mean that's it, it, that is like the perfect kind of it just says it all so with george michael's uh, infusion in the film or his music sort of being a uh important component i was wondering whether that was sort of an afterthought with the sort of the rise of the jukebox musical or whether it was planned that way from the get-go yeah, it was kind of it kind of happened organically it was you know the movie's based on last the song last christmas and then emma had put into the script a few placeholders of like you know this would be a great place to hear a george song but it wasn't really until i so I was shown by his estate this uh, documentary that he directed um, for BBC that aired as a one-hour version on TV, but they have a two-hour-long feature-length version of it. And when I watched that, that was when I was like, oh, my gosh, this is 
his we this has to be his music has to be you know the thing that ushers us through this film because it just his you just realize when you hear his lyrics and hear his music that, that his dna is just hard baked into this into this whole story you know and also emma knew knew george and had met with him and pitched him what she wanted to do with the script and he really loved it wanted to be involved with the music once it was finished and you know the fact that he's not around now it almost felt like he was kind of i don't know the the movie was demanding him basically you know and it went from you know we cleared five of his songs when we went into production so we could have them and use them in the movie and have you know the actors interact with them and then by the time i got through post there was 15 songs and just because as we were putting it together it's like this song needs to go here you know and so we just kind of went with well, it's a compliment to you that I think you've you've married his music with the story so brilliantly and I think you've avoided it being too gratuitous and obvious like so many other artist-focused films that are sort of emerging at the moment and um, it really is different to the others. Well, I appreciate that because I really, yeah, I, I didn't want to do like just a jukebox movie so, you know, it just was, yeah, it had to feel organic and so well, I appreciate that you felt that way. Uh, now, if you would allow me, I'd like to sort of bring an end to this interview with uh, some whimsical questions for you, if I may. The whole debate on whether you should watch Christmas movies outside of Christmas or not, is that a yay or a nay for you? I think it's a yay. I think there's nothing nicer than kind of in the middle of summer, like, oh, hey, let's check in on It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> you know, just kind of, because it, it's, you know, Christmas is such a great time of, of year, the, you know, the, the feelings of charity and love that we have, and we completely forget about that when we get to the middle of the summer. <laughs> well, our Christmas is in the middle of summer, so that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's exactly. Well, we do Christmas in July here as well. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch it when it's cold. That would be the weird thing. All right, so if somebody was to feature Last Christmas in a double bill with another Christmas movie, what one would it be? Uh, I think it'd have to be It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> oh, that was an easy one. Yeah, you know, because they're kind of the, 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 the black and white version of, uh, of us. <laughs> oh, well, do you like the colorized version? No. No, you don't? <laughs> no, I'm a very anti-colorization. Oh, really? Uh, the, uh, the only one I really like is, I think, The Miracle on 34th Street. I think the colorization in that one adds a different charm. But that's just my takeaway. I'm All right, so last question. I ask this one to most people I interview. Uh, do you have a favorite or some favorite Australian films? Gosh, yeah. I mean... Strictly Ballroom. Oh wait, Strictly. Wait, yeah, stri- Strictly Ballroom, right? Yeah, absolutely. Muriel's Wedding. I love. Um, I love the Dish. I love the Castle. Uh, all the Mad Max movies. My God. Um, uh, wait, I'm blanking out. There's no, no, no. That's plenty. <laughs> and congratulations for being the only person to not list Mad Max first. Ah, thank you. <laughs> well. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out of your morning to talk to me. I've had a great time talking to you. My pleasure. And anyway, best of luck with the rest of the promotion of the film. It's a fantastic film. I loved it. Have fun at the races. Thank you. I certainly shall. And thank you for being so supportive of the movie. Uh, And I will continue to spruik it. Thank you, my friend. All right. No worries, mate. We'll have a great one. I'll catch you later. Cheers, you too. Thanks. Well, there you go. And, you know, I wasn't kidding when I told him that Last Christmas was a contender for my top 10 of the year because I thought that was a really damn solid rom-com and nice slice of magic realism with a whole lot of charm. So, anyway, with that, let's stick to the Christmas in July banter and let's talk about Christmas-themed horror movies um, and let's talk about a few of our favourites. Do you have some, Ben? Uh, I do. Uh, I Unfortunately, the Melbourne Horror Film Society played this 
at Christmas a couple of years ago, and it was the first film of a double. I missed it and came in through the second one. So then oh. I had to borrow their their DVD copy of it <laughs> to watch, and I have not returned it. I'm, I'm sorry, Sam, uh, but I've, I've still got it. It's in good condition. It hasn't been ruined. It's here. When you come back to Melbourne, it's yours. Uh, this is a, a 2008 film called The Children. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was uh, directed by Tom uh, Shankland, uh, and it's basically about these these two sisters who get together uh, with their families for a kind of a Christmas reunion in the kind of in the British countryside. And then as the festivities are kind of taking place, the, chil- the all the young children um, start getting sick. They get like fevers and vomit and have yeah. diarrhea and all sorts of stuff. And then slowly that progresses into homicidal tendencies where they basically attempt to kill all the adults mm. in the area. Um, and it's never explained what it is that causes the kids to go nuts. It's just this kind of beautifully kind of gory and violent, you know, killer kid yep. horror film. Uh, awesome. It's excellent. Great. That sounds good. I haven't seen it, but I have heard all about it. So once again, write that down, add it to my list. Uh, my first one will come as no surprise to anybody that's been following Fake Champ over the years because I talk about it every single year. In fact, this year I'm going to talk about it twice because Christmas in July and then again at Christmas. Of course, it is Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5. And this is an annual staple in my house. It's my favorite of the entire series. It's kind of like Pinocchio meets Westworld, but all within the Charles Band world of Full Moon. Um, I just think it's glorious. Mickey Rooney is in this one. And it sort of takes the same premise as Halloween 3, where there's an evil toy maker that that sends out toys that kill people or kill children. You know, it's very sinister, but it's got this kind of squeaky clean gloss across the film. It was directed by Martin um, Kitosser, I think his name is. I can never get it right, but he's the guy that wrote Meatballs 2, directed Friday the 13th, 3, 4, and 5, or wrote them at least. Um, yeah, it's a really nasty film. And ironically, Mickey Rooney stars in it, and Mickey Rooney was the leading Hollywood guy going against the first film, picketing at all the screenings and writing open letters to the, you know, to the studio. And yet he came back for part five. Well, as we know from uh, recent events in Hollywood, money talks and morals walk. So that's, that's, that is no surprise. I have not seen, I've not seen this film, uh, but I've heard you talk about it on numerous occasions. Uh, (laughs) I usually tap out at the third installment of any franchise. uh, Yeah. But this, these, the last two, because both, I think both of them kind of were Brian Yuzna wrote, yep, part, partly wrote or and was yep. had cameos in and stuff like that. So well, I've got to check these out. Brian Yuzna uh, directed part four, part I believe, four, right? And he wrote part five. And Clint Howard has a cameo in this one and was one of the actors from the fourth. From one the fourth well. one, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and any horror movie with Clint Howard in it, you know, is going to be good. Oh, absolutely. Congratulations to Clint Howard, who just got married last week. Oh, wow. Congratulations, yeah. uh, Clint. That's great. <laughs> All right. What else you got? Uh, well, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, my next one is uh, the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. Ah, yes. Uh, which I, when I was a kid, for, for 10 months uh, during in between the ages of six and seven, I lived in Perth. My, my mum got a job over there and the whole family uh, packed up and moved over there. And we made, they made friends with this couple who had two kids 
and it was me and my sister uh, whose name is Katie and they had two kids and whose names were Ben and Katie as well and yeah. uh, we would hang out quite a bit and they one night they went to the video store and came back with Silent Night Dead and I was not in any way a horror kid I was yep. constantly terrified I was terrified Doctor Who, the Doctor Who theme song terrified me uh, <laughs> and, but I didn't want to appear like a chicken in front of these these two kids <laughs> and they brought home Silent Night Dead Night and Jesus did it yeah. mess me up but it was like for like but it, like I, I watched it again I've watched it again like multiple times uh, since yep. and it's it's just it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal piece of horror, horror well, do you know I think particularly as a kid I think the cover art for the Australian VHS was far more terrifying than any of the posters that they had overseas yeah it was just that image of him standing well, it had two outs. it had two cover arts two. well you know two. the one I mean though where he's yeah. standing like in With a doorway yeah 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 that scared the shit out of me every time I went to the video store. Yeah. And there's that scene kind of towards the end of the film where the cop comes out of the weird shack slash tomb in the back of the orphanage. And then he gets hit in the chest with the ax. Yep. Like that, that film has, that, that scene has stuck with me. Like whenever I think of horror, it's, it's someone getting axed in the chest. It's that (laughs) scene. Like all of the other, like, I mean, there's a surprising amount of nudity in that film. Linnea Quigley with 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 terrible skin is mm. in it. I don't remember any of that. Uh, like you know, childhood Ben doesn't remember any of that. All he remembers is the cop getting the axe to the chest and that look on his face. Yep. Oh man. All right, let's plow through these last ones. Uh, my next one is Better Watch Out from 2016, which is actually the Aussie slash American horror film starring Levi Miller and Ben Oxenbold, as well as Olivia Dijon. Uh, it's essentially Home Alone horror style. It's very fun. It's very unexpected, very violent, and it's on one of the streaming platforms, probably Netflix. It's well worth a look. Better watch out. And well, anyway, with all of those Christmas goodies wrapped up nicely, let's see how Adam goes with this week's review. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. And this week I am throwing Eastern Promises at you. That is a film by director David Cronenberg. Now, if you're not familiar with Cronenberg, I don't feel sorry for you. I uh, I actually feel that you're lucky because you should do a deep dive on this director. This guy is the man. This guy is the body horror auteur of our lifetime. Now, Eastern Promises is definitely uh, one of Cronenberg's most accessible, uh, nay, you know, mainstream films. But I'm a cinematic optimist, right? So when someone does change gears and they do try something different, I like it. So, you know, instead of going, this is the softening of this director, I find that this is the hardening of this genre. And so this is ostensibly a gangster movie. Uh, It is a thriller set in London and revolves around Russian gangsters. Um, And Cronenberg, look, imbues this with his trademark violence. There is some hairy shit in this film, but it is a film of, uh, of really melancholy tone and amazing performances uh, by Viggo Mortensen, who was Oscar nominated in his role here. Nomi Watts is fantastic as well. Um, but this is just a kick-ass film. I don't want to give too much away. Basically, a, uh, a drug-addled young prostitute uh, dies during childbirth and the midwife tries to figure out how this girl came to be in this life and who is responsible for it. And then she rubs up against some unsavory characters. Uh, it, there was rumors that this was meant to be the start of a bit of a franchise, that this might even be like a trilogy of films. Definitely kind of, I guess, in the vein of Sicario or something like that. Um, look, I would be so happy for them to make another one of this. Um, but 
it just kind of this deep dive into the Russian gangster world and how authentic that feels. Uh, these are scary people, you know, and Vincent Cassell is amazing in this. Uh, I mean, look, every supporting character in this movie is really, really good. Armin Mueller-Stahl is uh, quietly, you know, scary, terrifying in this. Um, I just, yeah, <clears throat> I think that if you have, haven't seen Cronenberg's kind of switch of pace as a filmmaker, uh, like a history of violence, a dangerous method. Uh, check those movies out. And if you didn't like them the first go around because they weren't Cronenberg enough for you, go back and revisit them. They're actually really, really solid movies. So, Eastern Promises is on stand right now. Uh, the less you know, the better. So, I'm not trying to be purposely cagey with this review. I just want you to go in and see one of the most underrated, kick ass gangster movies ever made. So, a rock solid five stars for me on Eastern Promises. Check it out. All right, Ben, old chap, this is where we recommend movies for the fine folk at home to watch over the next week or so. Would you like to take the lead on this one? Uh, yeah, look, I, I uh, accidentally uh, spent the entire week pretty much just uh, watching Kelly Preston movies and Christmas horror films <laughs> to talk about. So I didn't watch anything new, but I have been listening to this phenomenal podcast uh, called... You must remember this. I don't know if you've uh, if you've ever listened to this uh, uh, show, Glenn. It is basically it reveals the truth about urban legends surrounding the golden age of Hollywood or the first hundred years of, of Hollywood. And the last eight episodes have all been dedicated to Polly Plath, uh, who, if you don't know who she was, she was married to Peter Bogdanovich and was a production designer of his first three films, uh, Targets. Um, the Last Picture Show and uh, Paper Moon, and then went on to produce things like The Nice Space Split Up. They had a horrible divorce when he cheated on her with uh, Sybil Shepherd, and uh, it goes through all of that sort of stuff. And then she went on to kind of work on, uh, she wrote Pretty Baby and uh, produced Say Anything and like, like has this phenomenal career, you know, behind the camera. And it is a fascinating eight episode eight-hour kind of trip into 70s filmmaking, like some of the best films of that decade. So I highly recommend that <laughs> if, um, if you don't have time to watch a movie but uh, can listen to a show. Not only the uh, the new kid in town, but you're also the rebel on the block, breaking the rules there, Ben. <laughs> That's not a movie. I, I, I apologise. <laughs> I will be going back and watching all of those movies that they talk about in that show. So in the next couple of weeks, you'll probably hear me recommending things like Paper Moon and Say Anything. So this one uh, goes out to our number one listener, Brody, who this week wanted to take a stab at the dark and guess what movie I would be reviewing. So he hit me up online and I told him that um, I'll give him clues as to what I'm, I'm going to recommend. And I gave him the following clues. 2013, Tarantino, David Lynch and Guillermo del Toro. That was it. And he couldn't do it. He tried all that he could, but... Couldn't come up with the goods. So, I'm sorry, Brody. Nothing coming your way, brother. Not this time. I'm going back to 2013 to revisit an absolutely brutal film with an all-female lineup of bare-knuckle fighters. It's called Raze, R-A-Z-E, and it stars Zoe Bell in the headline uh, with Rachel Nichols, Tracy Thomas, Sherilyn Finn, uh, all co-starring. Have you seen this one, Ben? No, I haven't. But with that cast, aside from Zoe Bell, I'm surprised that I haven't. 
she's the lead and is brutal. It's about 50 women that are kidnapped and imprisoned by a rich husband and wife and they've all got to fight to the death for the entertainment of bored rich people and if they refuse it, then a sniper kills their loved ones. And like it's an age-old concept of, you know, the rich exploiting the poor for um, entertainment but raise his next level. It's the whole gender reversal, you know, kind of thing. Exploit style. Um, it's just, it's like an action movie from the 80s but just flipped highly stylized um excellent choreography it's just the supercharged narrative that, that pulls no punches and it was directed by josh c waller who went on to direct mechanic with david morse and camino also with zoe bell it is not streaming anywhere though but it is available to rent or buy for a few bucks digitally so get onto that one and for the record those clues particularly for you brody uh tarantino was the zoe bell connection uh, David Lynch was the Sherilyn Fenn connection and Del Toro was the Doug Jones connection and he plays the rich husband. So raise everybody, get on it. And now for our weekly giveaway. Uh, but first to announce last week's sci-fi double pack winner. That one goes out to Shauna Smith. Thank you, Shauna, for all of your support. We'll be in touch and we'll get some cool stuff out to you as soon as possible. And for next week's giveaway, um, it's another mystery prize. There's no conditions. Just keep liking, commenting, and sharing our show with your friends on Facebook or YouTube, and uh, we'll pluck a winner at random next week. So that's another episode done and dusted. Um, The weeks seem to be rolling by really fast, and we can only hope that the next several weeks of our Melbourne lockdown pass just as quickly because I'd rather be doing this at the desk with you, Ben. Definitely. So kudos to our friends at Bonehead Weekly. Cheers to the folk over at Scarefest. And it goes without saying that without the support of Jarrett Garn, Guillermo from Screen Realm and Adam Ross, then we'd only have half a show for you. And Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Cheers for another one. It's been heaps of fun. Yeah, it has. Thank you uh, for having me. And to all of you at home, in your cars, at work or wherever you are, thanks a bunch for taking the time out of your week to hang out with us. We love this shit and we're glad that you do too. We're going to leave you with another phenomenal track, this one by the incredible Frank Riggio. Just look him up. His work is stunning. This is a tune called Sabrina versus Gloria versus Alex, and it's taken from the Rays soundtrack, and this one goes out to our number one listener, Brody Kane. So have a good week, everyone. Good Movie Monday. <laughs> <laughs>